Hi, Dad. Hi, Celine. Did you know that you and I are about the same age if you count time living in the world? What do you mean? Well, as you know, I left a high-control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? <laughs> well, maybe in my head. The thing is, though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. <laughs> well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Hello and welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. I'm Celine, And I'm Stephen. So we're really happy today to have Jeremy Howell, aka Germ, as our guest today. Uh, Germ is an ex-Jehovah's Witness content creator with a brilliant YouTube channel called Mentally Diseased. Jeremy, Germ, welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. <laughs> Hello, thank you so much for having me. It's a delight to be here. Great. Uh, right, so first of all, for those of our listeners who don't really understand the reference to mentally diseased, uh, perhaps you could explain what this refers to, please. <laughs> Yes, mentally disease is such a loaded term, isn't it? Um, so that's what that's what they call people that leave Jehovah's Witnesses and speak out against it. You are a mm. mentally diseased apostate. It's a bit of a pejorative. Mm. I think that's how you say the word pejorative. Um, <laughs> um, so and my whole stance is to kind of reclaim the word as my the term as my own and remove some of the stigma about it. Yeah, I think I think that's a great thing to do, isn't it? Um, that's that's just a brilliant way of, yeah, sticking it to them. Really, mm-hmm. um, what does it say? <laughs> what does it say about, um, I guess, an organisation that would actually label people as mentally diseased? You know, what what does that tell us about that that organisation? Do you think, from your perspective? Well, it tells us they're a bunch of buttholes, that's for sure. <laughs> not particularly empathetic. Um, I just I just think their entire stance on apostates and people that leave is very interesting. You know, they'll mm. they'll on one hand baptize someone that's in jail for being a serial killer. Mm. Um, you know, that's totally forgivable. No problem there. But uh, the only un- unforgivable sin is doing what we do here, hosting your mm. podcast, doing my YouTube channel. Mm. This, these are the unforgivable things, which I think is very telling that the unforgivable sin is speaking your truth. Yeah. And, and the other thing I, I think also it tells us something about, Obviously, it tells us what they think about apostates or people that don't believe anymore. Um, but it also tells us something about their view of mental health, really, doesn't it? Um, it, it suggests a a terrible lack of understanding about what mental health is about. And um, oh, absolutely! If they're flinging that term around in such a um, irresponsible way, um, in fact, you talk quite a lot about. Um, sort of themes around mental health, I think, on your channel um, mm-hmm. in, in a much more responsible way than the JWs. What, what do you think are some of the psychological difficulties for people leaving a cult, high control group, Jehovah's Witnesses? What do you think are some of the, the difficulties in that? Oh, goodness. There, there's a lot. I mean, we're mm. 
we were all programmed so hard in so many different ways because they they basically stripped that they you know they have a whole saying about it let go of the old person and put on the new personality Mm -hmm. um so especially for people that were born into it you might come out of the religion not you, you know, you were raised with a new, new personality. You have no mm. idea who you really are or how you really mm. feel about things. So you come out with um, a lot of feelings, of course, like things like guilt and shame, uh, trying to, you know, just learn how to be free and be yourself and have opinions mm. of your own. Um, and then, of course, there's some of the things that I notice a lot are things like misogyny uh letting go of misogynistic ideas some homophobic ideas um it's just you know we're it's a barrel of monkeys (laughs) our brains there's a lot Hmm. yeah absolutely wait um post leaving yourself was that one of the first things you had to because i know that was um a big reason for your well the main reason for your leaving was when I listened to your story recently um, was your mum finding out and then all of that blowing you know blowing up and and that so was that something you had to unpack pretty early on post leaving your relationship with your sexuality or did you put were you still trying to put that aside for a while what was that kind of journey like for you post leaving right yeah so you're talking about Mm -hmm. uh me being gay Mm -hmm. and all of that. So yeah, that's a great question because you know, you're raised with these homophobic ideas and this Mm -hmm. sense of, you know, longing for heteronormativity. Another word I'm not sure if I'm saying right, but you know, you get what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, even though, and I, I get this a lot, I get a lot of gay people that write me letters and stuff um, about their own experiences. And so many of them struggle with this, this homophobia that's built into them. And they, they're, they're still afraid to accept themselves. And they're very afraid of the queer community. Uh, You know, there's a lot of uh, latent, latent homophobia that stays with you, like not wanting to go to pride. I I don't want to go to pride. I don't like gay people that rub it in their faces. Why can't, why can't you just uh, keep it to yourself? Things like that. And that takes a long time to get over. Um, there's also, the, there was a study recently in Australia about, and it wasn't about Jehovah's Witnesses, it was about Christianity in general. Um, but they they found that even kind of passive, the passive way that like Jehovah's Witnesses approach gay people it, just saying like they're disgusting and you're you're unacceptable and you can change and this is just like a sexual perversion hearing that all the time growing up has the same impact on a person as actual real conversion therapy um so a lot of these people come out with ptsd and they even have trouble like performing sexually because they've they've been so put off by all of this that you know what when it comes down to being yourself and going to all these places, all of that programming kicks in and, you know, you can even feel like physical reactions to it, nausea, vomiting. It's, it's just crazy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, It's, um, it's something that I've often thought about myself. I mean, 
Um, the organisation has this wonderful term, the bloom of youth. I don't know whether they you recognise that. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you go through the bloom of youth, which is basically when you start to notice um, an interest in things that matter sexual, I suppose. Um, and, I mean, that's hard enough, I think, for any witness because you're um, you, you're supposed to repress that anyway because you can't have any sexual release really until you get married of any kind right um but i guess if you realize that you're gay you don't even have the thought of well maybe one day i can get married in your mind to be able to fulfill your your needs if you like so can you talk to that in any way how how do you what's that realization like how, how do you how do you sort of think about that yeah it's 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 very difficult to grow up as a gay person there because mm. it could, like like you said, everyone there is sexually repressed. Everyone. Mm. Everyone is just chomping at the bit to get married as soon as they mm. turn 18 so they can just, you know, fi- <laughs> finally get some relief. <laughs> and, you know, as a gay person, you are asked to basically, you know, they say they hate the sin, not the mm. sinner. So you can just chill here and be asexual is, is your only choice. So mm. you don't even have that option on the table growing up. You don't have, you know, you just, you, you train yourself to basically shut down your sexuality, um, yeah. which, you know, is why so many people struggle with it after they leave is because they've trained themselves for so long to be asexual. Then it's like, mm. well, how, now how do I be sexual? Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's just interesting. So many of them are just waiting around being asexual, hoping for paradise, uh, you know, when they'll make it in and they were good and asexual all in the old system and Jehovah will fix them. Hmm. And then Stephen Lett comes out with this talk, I think last year saying mm-hmm. basically, Oh, Jehovah's not going to fix it. You're still going to have to get over it. Uh, I don't know if you, yeah. you saw that, that yeah, talk, but yeah, I, saw, I, saw <laughs> I was outraged about it. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, that's really interesting. Cause you, you talk about how you, um, you know, you, you sort of thought to yourself, well, that, that, that is the answer. If I can get, get through Armageddon and, you know, Jehovah will fix me. Um, and then for those witnesses who listen to that talk, who are still in and um, have been thinking that way, then all of a sudden to be presented with the, the idea that, no, actually you've, you know, you've just got to um, choose just, a different li- lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just not possible. It's no. just not possible. So that had to have been really disheartening for mm. uh, gay people in the religion trying to make it. Yeah, I've got to wonder if it, if it might have. Um, sometimes it feels like uh, they're very counter in what they say. So they're like preach. You know, the you said that they're saying like, oh no, it's not going to be. Uh, that's not how it's going to work. You're not going to go to paradise and be quote unquote fixed. It's still this choice thing. And you'd think that they would, you know, this is why I think sometimes I'm like, yeah, then there's not a grand plan. Because if there was, like, they would know that that's not what these people want to hear if you want to keep them in. And they'd say, oh, yeah, that's right. exactly what will happen. You know, you'd promise <laughs> the things that you know that they'd want to hear. So I'm just like perplexed. But, you know. Yeah, it's a re- it was a really bizarre choice because it's like you're making this up anyway. Why would you? Yeah. Why is that the thing you would make yeah. up? <laughs> you're just like, you know, you could have been like, yeah, yeah, it'll be fine. And everyone was like, oh, good, relief. But no, they were like, yeah, nah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it's 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 strange. Um, it's almost like they don't really want people to stay in the organisation the way they they treat people, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. And you went to to some quite extreme lengths, really, to try to deaden your feelings and try to train yourself um, mm-hmm. not to think in certain ways. Could you are you able to talk a little bit about that, Jim? Yeah, well, when I first did, like realized my problem, <laughs> as I thought of it at the time, uh, you know, it's the, the, what's the first thing you do when you're a Jehovah's Witness and you have a problem? You go back to, through your library, comb every reference you can, and get your answers. So I'm going through all these bound volumes and the young people ask and, you know, they talk about gay people a lot, but they don't really have any solutions for them. They just say... Mm-hmm over and over again that like masturbation is the reason it happens and you can change, but they don't tell you how, how to change. So Hmm. bar barring any actual help from them, I got online, hopped on the internet. I'm like, okay, so how do I stop being gay? And of course, then I fell down this rabbit hole of, you know, conversion therapy, Mm -hmm. internet. um, And, Luckily, like I didn't have access to the more formal uh, ways of doing it, but I did like I I got the gist of what like conversion therapy is based around. So I started doing it myself. I would keep like a pin in my pocket or a safety pin or something sharp in my pocket. And like any time I had any kind of sexual thought whatsoever, which is a lot when you're 13, 14 Mm. years old, let me Mm. tell you, uh, you know, jab myself Mm. in the thigh that try to associate any kind of sexual thought with pain. Mm. Um, and you know, of course, prayer, praying constantly, Jehovah, Jehovah, please fix Mm. me waking up in the middle of the night, Jehovah, please. Mm. And you know, nothing, nothing um and that's i I went on like that for probably about five years before i finally gave up and i was like you know what there's just i'm sorry but they're just wrong about this there's jehovah isn't answering my prayers that's all these conversion methods are not doing a thing they're they're just wrong about this they're they're gonna get new light about this soon and realize that they were wrong they just don't know anything about gay people Mm -hmm. um that that, and that was kind of the mindset i was in around when i when i ended up leaving and i stayed in that mindset for a while after leaving i was still kind of i was pimo for a Mm -hmm. while and no pimos are the physical and then homie i was homie yeah Yeah, i was gonna ask you about that yeah 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 i was homie for a while afterward and i was just waiting for them to get new light about gay people and you know it's been uh actually next week is my apostiversary it'll be 17 years (laughs) since i was ejected from jehovah's organization (laughs) and they (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah and still no light about it nothing no mm. no um I, I was gonna actually ask you a little bit if we go sort of a bit further back in time when you were being raised as a witness um what was your worldview because I'm, I'm kind of interested in how uh people construct their their universe you know around what they're taught so again for those listeners who are not um part of the xjw community um what what is it like being raised as a jehovah's witness um what sort of world view do you have do you want to just tell people a little bit about that 
Well, I was very into it. Mm. Um, I thought that this was the greatest thing ever. Like I, I was totally into the idea that we were all these great Bible scholars. That's, you know, (laughs) (laughs) we studied the Bible and knew everything about it and knew better than everyone else about it. And I, Mm. I just loved the community and I was obsessed with paradise. I would write like fiction about paradise, imagining my life there. Um, so it was what, what was it like what was paradise like in your in your fictional worlds describe it for us well it's it depends on what point in my life i i wrote these <laughs> stories i had several uh you know when i was younger and before i got so jaded about it it was mm. um you know i'd imagine like this great almost a sci-fi utopia that we would eventually get to um, just thinking about all of the things that you could learn with unlimited time. Like I'm going to become a master violinist and then, you know, a, a scientist and I'm going to take us to the moon and stuff like that. Um, the stories progressively got darker as I went on and I started okay. to really think about what it would be like uh, to live forever. Yeah. Especially if, if you're gay, uh, so th- those stories weren't so fun. I'd still like to revisit some of those and mm. maybe breath, you know, edit them up a bit and maybe self-publish them somewhere. But um, anyway, back to your original question about th- the worldview beyond mm. just like being really into it all. There's also like a mindset of superiority over everybody that I was pretty bad about. I thought I was better than everyone. Um, I only went to public school for a couple years and I was the just a jerk. <laughs> you know, just a jerk. I was very I was not shy at all about telling people that they were gonna die in Armageddon for eating a birthday cupcake and <laughs> you know, or for seeing some movie I didn't uh yeah. approve mm-hmm. of. You, you know, you remember going door to door and it's like someone was rude to you at the door. Mm. I'm gonna get their house when they die in Armageddon. <laughs> you know <laughs> they're, they're a goat. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, a mixture of just being really mean and proud uh, proud of yourself. I don't know, mm. overly proud of yourself. Mm. But of course, you've always got this um, uh, this thing, Armageddon, persecution. That mm-hmm. I, I kind of worried about persecution, and that was one of the things that was uh, that used to bother me because mm-hmm. um, I was always worried about you know maybe I'll give the brothers away you know if they if they captured me you know. So that was always a concern. They were all talking about persecution. Then you've got Armageddon on the horizon. Oh, yes. Um, you know, what does that, uh, do you remember thinking about that? Did you, was that real uh, to you? Armageddon absolutely was very real to me. Um, yeah. my, the, I was second generation and my parents had just converted, uh, yeah. like literally when I was born. They basically got baptized as soon as they'd pop me out. Um and you know and my dad's kind of uh he's a little unhinged Mm -hmm. and kind of a conspiracy theorist and you know that that kind of thing and that really played into all of the armageddon stuff it was like i mean it's very interesting to grow up constantly thinking that tomorrow tomorrow all of this could be up in flames Mm. you know talking to people at school and like knowing or thinking anyway uh, i love my teacher but she could be dead tomorrow um and trying not to get too attached and always being afraid like we lived in kansas for a little bit here which 
I, I know neither of you are Americans, but it's like Tornado Alley. Mm. You well, know, we Wizard know that of Oz, from, uh, Tornadoville. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and we would get these crazy thunderstorms in the middle of the night, just hail the whole house shaking from thunder and wake up in the middle of the night, like thinking Armageddon is here and having this weird mixture of feelings between like excitement and dread it's kind of hard to describe like you're excited for it but like terrified that you're not going to make it yeah i think that's that's really uh, that that brings back memories for me as well i I definitely recognize that you know you'd see something on the news uh, oh maybe this is the beginning you know and there'd Mm -hmm. be a that that mixture of you know this is what we've been waiting for um but also yeah fear about what was going to happen yeah very very good point Mm. yeah so so growing up with this philosophy of, you know, Armageddon can come tomorrow. Um, you describe yourself as a goody two shoes on, on your channel. Yes. <laughs> yes, I was. Which is funny because I, I said exactly the same thing um, on an interview this week because I was the same. Um, I was totally into it as a, as a kid. Um, really, you know, I, I had plans for what, what I wanted to do uh, in the organization. What What was your plans what were you gonna what were you gonna do well i had big plans for myself i've I've always been a very creative person like i said i was writing all these paradise stories and stuff but um it it was kind of mind-blowing to me when i went to public school and my my teacher saw me writing all of these paradise stories and she kind of like tried to persuade me into writing some other stuff like try try a mystery story or maybe like something like goosebumps and so i do that and you know the the teacher would have me read aloud chapters from my stories to the class and everything and she told me like you know you can do this with your life you can get paid for this i was like what you can get paid to write stories and i I was just like hooked on this idea and i just wanted to become an author so bad um so i would start i would write all the time and then i ended up getting counseled for it because apparently i was spending too much time writing and not enough time with my personal study which is bull crap i mean i just i was constantly doing personal study but um so i kind of had to like reshift my focus because i was getting so much crap about writing stories so I was like, well, I, if I can't write novels, I'll go write for the Watchtower. That's, that's what I'm going to do. So that was my goal was to go to Bethel and like write for Watchtower. I wanted to like, I had this dream of, uh, you know, the paradise stories. I wanted to like do that for Watchtower, like write Jehovah's Witness fiction, uh, for people to read. So that was kind of like what I wanted to do when I grew up. Because obviously you said you stopped going to school quite young so was it that you were then homeschooled like officially it was called homeschooling were you um like uh, how old were you when you started doing that uh i forget the exact age but it was mm-hmm. fifth grade okay. fifth grade was the last year that i went to public school mm-hmm. i only went to public school from uh, second grade to fifth that's all okay. that's all um i skipped the first two grades because i was really smart thank you very much <laughs> and um but they yanked me out in fifth grade number one because we moved a lot we moved mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. um we were always in this cycle of buy a house we can't afford because Armageddon's just around the corner and we don't have to pay the mortgage anyway. And then, oh, you do have to pay the mortgage and you can't afford it. And now we're moving into a dump. So we do like that a lot. Mm -hmm. So they pulled me out of school. And also because my dad thought that the bad association was spoiling my useful habits. So they 
from sixth grade, they enrolled me in this real shady school. I forget the name of it. Um, it was an online school mm. that a lot of Jehovah's Witness kids were enrolling in. And they the appeal to it was that you could count your Jehovah's Witness activities as school in place of actual schooling. Right. So all of these kids were enrolling in it to pioneer, and that was counting as their education. Um. So that's what I was enrolled in. So essentially, my real education halted at fifth grade. I never really progressed from there. And I didn't even keep up with, you know, reporting to the school. I ended up just, you know, kind of skating out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which is probably mm-hmm. one of my biggest regrets about everything was basically how even my most basic education was robbed for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are your thoughts um, as someone that's gone through that then and what you know governments and, and states should be doing to prevent that because obviously no saying you regret it but I mean it wasn't you're a child and you couldn't have done mm-hmm. anything do you know I mean they your, your parents and the organization made that choice for you what do you think um, we should be doing I guess as a society to to help kids not end up in those situations or do you think there's not much we can do or Oh, it's a hard one. Um, They have, this was like in the pioneer days of the internet. So they didn't have a lot of regulations at the time Mm -hmm. as far as online homeschooling went. And that's, I think that's the only reason we got away with it. It was just like at that right perfect time. Mm -hmm. And they do have laws now here um, to prevent that kind of like fudging Mm -hmm. actual homeschool. Um, Personally, I'm pretty sketchy about the concept of homeschool in general, just because of my experience. And I know experiences from other people. There's another great YouTuber I'm friends with, uh, not an XJW, Adam, the atheist, Mm -hmm. um, who also is pretty vocal about homeschooling, which I, I understand the appeal sometimes for some people that like they have great experiences with it, but time and time again, the, the people that are doing homeschooling are, you know, uptight Christian families mm-hmm. that are doing it to keep their kids unexposed from the world, um, to keep them sheltered, to control mm-hmm. what they're learning. And we're having an issue here in America right now with the critical race theory and how they're trying to control, um, like what is being taught in schools about you know, racism Mm -hmm. in our, in Mm -hmm. America's history with racism. And, you know, that's, we're struggling just to regulate that in the public school system, let alone in people's homes. Mm -hmm. What are they teaching them in their homes? Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It's a fine line. I can understand why people prefer homeschooling and they, I know that some people are responsible, responsible about it, but there's, you know, a lot of people that are not. No, it does worry me. I think, um, I know a lot of people that, were homeschooled or continue to be at this time and I just can't help but wonder like even even if they are you know passing whatever they need to to say that they're doing enough uh, to homeschool I, I, you just think you know teachers do have to go through a lot of um, education themselves in order to be educators and then you know yes it's also the way that the 
uh, information is kind of undermined. I would uh, I would suggest. Yeah, I mean, and if I think, you're giving it, are you yeah. giving it with a and remember this is not. <laughs> yeah, you know. that's right. You know, we've got <laughs> to teach revolution. Of course, we know that's not true. Um, uh-huh, so you know, yeah. and that I mean, you get that anyway when you go to school. Um, when you come home after you've had a science lesson, you'll then be debriefed um, mm. about why it's wrong, and then you'll have all sorts of other things um that tell you that you know yeah. the actual truth but at least there's six hours right. in the day years. no i know yeah at least you get yeah, six exactly. hours of uninterrupted Absolutely. education yeah. um you know mm. before without yeah it being told to you of a particular uh point of reference um yeah exactly and i think exposure to other people is very mm-hmm. important too that was part of um what was horrible about it for me was you know i was you're already isolated as a Jehovah's Mm. witness. You're only allowed to be friends with other witnesses. Um, And you put me in homeschool and we lived in the middle of nowhere, like Kansas, Mm. rural Colorado. Um, So I wasn't getting any social interaction with anybody except for at meetings and field service. That was it. That's the only time I ever saw any other people. Um, So number one, it's very isolating and it can be a very lonely life. Um, you, you know, you need to learn how to talk to other people and how to interact with others mm-hmm. and um, how to have conflict with other people and how to listen to other people. Um, you, you know, it, like we were talking about evolution here, the six hours a day, the, that's important to have those six hours a day where your worldview is being challenged. Mm-hmm. Um, whether whether or not they're right or you're right or they're wrong and you're right, it's, it's just important to have that challenge so that you are able to develop critical thinking skills rather than just, oh, I'm going to listen to this, but... You know, I'm going to listen to what my parents say or what the religion says and never hear anything else. It's just a recipe for an echo chamber. Yeah, absolutely. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe. It's just a click or a tap, but it means that the show gets recognized as something of potential value and interest to others. And it's the main way that we know people care about what we're doing. So if you've not already done so, please click subscribe or follow on whatever podcast app you're using. Thank you. And on with the show. Well, I was just going to ask as well, while we're talking about like being young and um, educated. And uh, so I've noticed the uh, organization is putting a lot more emphasis. It feels like on how they educate the young people in terms of creating those cartoons think they're like Caleb and something I can't remember the other one Caleb and Sophia yes yeah I know um well (laughs) I've I've seen the horrible video where the girl sees the picture of two mums and she tells her mum about it and she seems quite all right and her mum you know tells her why that's bad and that you know some people in the world think that's okay um and they might think they love each other but it's not basically and it's like (laughs) oh god you know it's yeah yeah um and i was just like should this be allowed like this is hateful and it's being dressed up like a children's cartoon um Mm -hmm. and i mean what are your thoughts on on that (laughs) uh i i mean it's it's pretty terrible uh and i do think that things that if they're making content that appeals to children it should go through some sort of i don't know board or something Mm -hmm. like you know you have to get movies rated to share show them in theaters you have to show them to a board is this rated rpg is this inappropriate and somehow they get 
get away with not going through that whole process. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and they're very good at making it seem very sweet and innocent. Like mm -hmm. even that, that video that you're talking about with the, with the two moms, mm -hmm. it like, if you're not thinking too hard about it, it doesn't seem that bad. It's like, Oh, she's just being nice and everything, but she's like telling her daughter to go, go talk to this child of a lesbian couple and tell them your parents are wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. It's yeah. extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah. It's, like, it's just horrible. Yeah. No. I mean, if she's not being homeschooled, she's going to be soon. She can start getting bullied. Poor girl. Yeah. <laughs> have to pull her out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah it, it, it's a, it's a good point that like you said, like, why is it not being looked at by some sort of outside party? Cause it's, it's a cartoon and stuff that goes on, you know, open networks for, children gets gets looked at before it gets broadcast absolutely yeah yeah uh, and it's not as though it's being hidden i mean that's the thing mm. that, that um i'm curious about is um is the fact that you know the, these cartoons are there available for anybody they want other people to yeah. uh to access them so it's um it's not like they're trying to hide this behavior which i, I find extraordinary really Right. Um, from what from what I understand, like they they actually like I've heard stories about moms giving Caleb and Sophia DVDs to other moms like, oh, this is great. Yeah. It's Bible, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. Bible based entertainment for your children. It's educational. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that kind of like they used to do with my book of Bible stories, you know, yeah. just shuck that thing everywhere. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that was bad enough, wasn't it? Um, uh, yeah. That was frightening <laughs> enough, let alone all that. I mean, obviously, the, the production values have improved um, since the days that I was in. Um, and I guess yourself. Um, so it's even more terrifying now, the things that you're, mm -hmm. you're seeing. Um, yeah. Frightening dramas that, you know, and that would have given me nightmares, absolutely, as a kid. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. just just like it's one thing to see. I mean, there were uh, when I was like a little, little kid, the first thing that we did that we were reading in book study was the Revelation book, which was yeah. terrifying, terrifying to be reading as a child. I think that might have been that in my book of Bible stories were probably the first books I actually read. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, that was scary enough. But now to see like it dramatized, like you said, and they're at the convention, they have no they're not distinguishing between what's of it, what's appropriate for children, and what's appropriate for adults. They show the same things to everybody. So you see these terrifying videos about people huddling up in a bunker and like SWAT teams coming after you and Jesus coming out of the sky with a friggin bow and arrow. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's too much. Mm. Mm. Definitely. Absolutely. Um, okay. Can I can I um, bring you back to your your youth again, Joe? Um, so you're you're still very young. You're being denied your sexual identity. In fact, you're told that it's wrong. And on top of that, you're being physically abused by your dad. Um, and the elders are not protecting you. The organisation is not protecting you. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and and how you end up? getting out of that situation oh yeah so he was as far as physical abuse goes he he wasn't as bad as some um but he was pretty bad he was very big on the emotional and psychological abuse i mean oh. he is a he a narcissist through and through very manipulative mm -hmm. um it's pitting the kids against each other you know there's this 
family dynamic of a narcissistic family is of the narcissist, the golden child and the scapegoat. And I was definitely the scapegoat. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he was also very abusive to my mom as well. Um, and he, you know, there were a few times my brother. So my brother was born with a brain tumor and it, it was there were it was very difficult to get treatment for him because, of course, the no blood transfusion thing. And uh, it was very difficult to get treatment for him at the time. This was the 80s, mm-hmm. 90s uh, without blood. So we finally like found a hospital that that could treat him and take care of him. And my dad's going around and he's groping the nurses, uh, flirting. He cornered one of the nurses in like some closet, some janitor closet. I don't know how he managed this, but the nurse like raised a huge issue about it and said, Mm -hmm. you know, we want to treat your son, but we cannot have him around here doing this to us. Um, And we we ended up taking this to the elders because you know this is basically cheating on your wife here this is ridiculous mm. your son is on the verge of death with a brain tra- mm. with a brain tumor and you're cornering the nurses mm. and the elders did nothing you know it's they they took his side he denied it and it's obviously we're making things up and it, it, this was kind of the theme all throughout growing up anytime mm-hmm. he did anything that was particularly abusive like he'd kick me out of the house and make me sleep in the cold for he'd leave me out there for a couple days and, and like like i said rural kansas we lived on an, in like acreage there was nowhere for me to go except sleep mm-hmm. under the porch mm-hmm. um and it would be over something ridiculous like watching lord of the rings um, which it was his DVD. It was his DVD, uh, <laughs> by the way. Um, and we'd go to the elders with this and it's like, it was always turned around to be our fault for his behavior. They always took the side of the head of the house. We weren't being respectful of the head of the house. We shouldn't have provoked him. Uh, here's these scriptures about this, 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 and this. Um, and, and it was like that for my mom as well. He was constantly like borderline cheating he was um you know she wasn't allowed to drive he wouldn't let her work uh just all kinds of stuff and it was just very I, i'm going off on a tangent here no, no, I'm going with this really important. <laughs> no i mean what you're describing is a is a kind of high control situation within mm-hmm. a high control group isn't it so you're yes you know you've got a coercive uh or you're observing a coercive relationship you're actually you're you're part of a family where an individual is coercively controlling his family. Um, on top of that, you've got the organization, which itself is a high control group. Yes. Um, and they're kind of backing up mm. your father um, mm-hmm. in his activity, which is, yeah, which is shocking. Yeah. Which is like what, what, makes this religion so dangerous i think i i've you know given my my experiences with my father growing up i've been very interested in the topic of narcissism and this mm. sort of antisocial personality disorder yeah. read reading a lot about it and there's so many abusive methods that these people use that is basically watchtower's playbook on their own mm. you know they're they're a narcissistic organization ran by narcissists that protect other narcissistic people. Um, so they just really create this environment for abusive people to thrive. It feels like the, the more manly you are and the more abusive you are, the better you're going to do in this organization. Mm. 
Yeah, we've heard too many stories of, you know, people that have, you know, been that even if they have been reproved, they've ended up being elders again and put back in positions of power and things like that. So it's just it's a patriarchal group that that keeps Mm -hmm. taking care of its own, it feels at least. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's there's sort of two factors really. One is that if you create a a structure where the man is like a little king of his little domain, <laughs> then you know you, you don't be surprised if if some men take advantage of that, or you know mm-hmm. they they think they've got a a green light light yeah. to um, to do things. So I think just the very want. structure, exactly, just the very structure of it, um, and then you've got the other the messages that say about you know. Um, being the leader and taking the lead mm-hmm. and so on. Well, there's that phrase that someone was like, instead of saying power corrupts, um, they were like, they prefer the term power reveals. And it's, you know, uh. you know mm, and just like, you know, you see what someone wanted with all this power, what they would do with it, you know. Um, and, and I find that interesting because instead of it, 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 it doesn't take away agency or like it says, yeah, it, you know, people make choices, you know. <laughs> reveals who you really are yeah yeah i think i think in the case of my father and a lot of other abusive people i think that power that they give them is exactly what appealed to them about the organization in the first place i I really think that my dad converted specifically because Mm -hmm. of the power that they offered him Mm -hmm. Mm. because it says something that on the one hand you know, you they're going. He's going round various different hospitals, trying to desperately find somebody that will treat his son without blood. So that's really, really important. But on the other hand, he's okay with breaking God's law about mm-hmm. marriage and uh, and so on. Right. So that, that says something, doesn't it? <laughs> totally a double standard. Mm. Mm. Um, going off piece a little bit, but I, I just while you're saying that, I don't know whether you might be interested. There's a, um, I attended a a, a a little presentation, a talk by two psychologists. I'll send you the link if you're interested in watching it. It's about malignant narcissism and power in cults. Oh, I um, love it! So I'll send you that link. It's by Charles Zeders. We're going to do a podcast about it specifically, but you might want to watch the actual thing. Uh, and Peter Devlin, they've written a book about it. Um, and they go into the history of sort of narcissism and malignant narcissism and how often cult leaders are basically uh, this this sort of character. So, yeah. Oh, I'd be very interested in that. That's mm. right up my alley. <laughs> yeah. So how did you how did you get out of that situation then? So that's that's where you are, but how do you... How do you manage to extricate yourself from that? Well, I mean, I mean, basically, I got kicked out of Jehovah's Witnesses. That was how it happened. I had. Do you want me to talk about that? How how I left and all that. If, all if that's that okay, happened? if you sure. Um, yep. So, about seventeen years ago, this month, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I was kind of I was in this weird kind of limbo. I I still believed. Um, I thought witnesses were wrong about gay people, but I was just going to deal with it. But I just turned 18. I in it right now it's June. I turn 18 in May. Um, so I hadn't even been 18 for a month. My parents had moved into a smaller place that didn't have room for me. And 
because they were like, oh, you're 18. Bye. Get out of here. <laughs> it was, figure it out. Um, <laughs> so when well, you're looking at the house, the guy, you're thinking to yourself, where's my room? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happened. Um, so I had found uh, accommodations with another witness family who had like a camper trailer on their land. And I was going to move into this camper and they were fixing it up for me. So I was in this limbo where my parents had moved on to this tiny place. I was waiting for my new place and I was alone in the old house all by myself. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to live it up for this like month that, you know, I'm unsupervised yeah. by other witnesses or my family. And I'm going to like test out this gay thing and see what it's all about. So I, I'd ended up meeting another gay person online and I, I had them over to my house and it was the first time I met this person. And it wasn't like, I mean, I didn't know how to date or do anything like as far as like hooking up goes, like that wasn't even on my mind. Uh, I just wanted, I wanted to meet another gay person because I'd never met another gay person before. I wanted to see if they were as terrible and awful as witnesses say <laughs> that they are. Um, at on at the time of this weekend, it was a convention weekend. It was a circuit assembly. And I told my parents that I'm working that weekend and I was going to catch the next convention the next weekend. Totally live. Um and my mom is nosy as hell. She saw it right through me. So I had this person over and then I hear her car pull up because she knew that I wasn't working and wanted to see what I was doing. And she barges in and this person's like a, you know, six foot tall cop. Uh, <laughs> and I'm trying to like stuff him under the bed and hide him and just tell my mom, I'm, oh, I'm just hanging out here on break at work. Uh, that didn't work. She saw his feet poking out of the bed like the Witch and Wizard of Oz and knew instantly what was happening. Um, so she, she left immediately and went to the elders and I don't think she went to the elders to tattle on me specifically. She was looking at them for help cause she didn't know what mm. to do. Um, but the elders of course were not very helpful. Mm. Um, and they basically told her, well, there's, you know, if he doesn't change and if he doesn't want to change, there's no reason for you to talk to him again. Um, so basically that's, that's how I ended up leaving. Um, it was kind of hard too because like i said i was in that limbo between houses mm -hmm. and now because the elders said they they called me and said are you going to stop being gay if not then you know th then you're done and my mom came over with a bundle of letter from all of my friends basically ending our friendships until i stopped i wasn't even baptized by the way <laughs> so i i really think i was treated more harshly because mm. i was gay and because it was a rural conservative area they weren't very sympathetic to me um but anyway i had no place to go because now the place i was going was no longer on the table um so go ahead no i was just gonna say so so shunning obviously something that you've experienced even though you weren't baptized yeah. Um, in which case, really, shunning doesn't really apply. Mm -hmm. um, disfellowshipping doesn't apply, but they right. shunned you anyway. Yeah, they shunned me anyway. I was treated as disfellowshipped, and I'm still treated as disfellowshipped by everyone that I knew. Like, my two best friends actually knew that I was gay all the way up till then. They'd found out, and they were trying to help me with my not being gay. Mm -hmm. um, and But, you know, the moment that it came out, they stabbed me in the back. and It, it was like, you know... It, and I hear people online all the time ask for advice about this. Oh, I have a friend that's very supportive of me. And I, and I just want to tell them, don't get attached. Don't get attached because as soon as it becomes public, they're not going to be loyal. Mm -hmm. um, 
so anyway, I ended up moving in with this cop that I had met once in my life. Uh, very unhealthy. And I think the next few months, I don't want to go into the next few months too bad, but it was a very rough time for me. And I, he was a very abusive person as well that I think saw that I was vulnerable mm-hmm. and dependent and didn't couldn't take care of myself. And he took advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of how I got away from it all and got away from my dad. And my mom actually ended up, she stopped shunning me after a while. And she saved me from that situation with that cop. She gave me a call and she really saved my life because it was not Mm. good for me. Um, And she found a place for me to live. And, you know, we've been talking ever since and she ended up leaving as well. Mm. And several years later for reasons unrelated. Um, And now we have a great relationship now. I love my mom. My dad, I do not talk to though anymore. There's a lovely video um, of you and your mum on uh, your channel, so I recommend people yeah. check that out. It's great. It's a great video. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's lovely to uh, that's lovely to see. Yeah. Um, what sort of you, you said? Uh, I was going to ask you about um, any sort of mental hangovers you had after leaving Jehovah's Witnesses. You've already said that you you felt like you were pomy um, for mm-hmm. some time, so. You, you'd actually left Jehovah's Witnesses. They were shunning you. Um, what what sort of mental hangovers did you have about uh, the, the beliefs and sort of the conditioning? I was, um, I was kind of that, I was that apologist online that you see all the time. That's like, right. well, you know, they're not per They're just imperfect men and it, not everything about them is great, but they're, they're the closest to the truth. If anybody has the truth, Jehovah's witnesses have the truth. They know what they're talking about. (laughs) Um, so I still like accepted the whole Armageddon doctrine and paradise was going to come. And that, that was hard too, because, you know, I, I knew that I, I, that if Armageddon came, I was going to die. So I was kind of like, in a state of acceptance about that and just trying to live it up while I had time before Jehovah murdered me. Um, and you know, that, <laughs> that Which is, that's that was, it, isn't it? That's exactly it. Isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, otherwise there were other like kind of programming things that took a while for me to get over. Like I, Jehovah's witnesses pride themselves a lot in how, yeah, they're so inclusive and they're not really racist and da 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 da. And I thought that for a long time. And it turned out I was actually pretty racist. Um, and there, there was a, I had to go through a lot of like shutting my mouth and listening to other people's experiences and learning that I had to do. Um, I had a lot of kind of latent misogyny in me. There was all kinds of little mm-hmm. things that followed me around for a long time that I had to work on. Um, but but I think I'm doing pretty good now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, one of the things that I'm really interested in is is identity and, and a sense of self. Um, and I think that's um, something that, uh, you know, when, when you leave, if you're a born in and you leave, it's not like, you know, if you read lots of books about cults and, and high control groups, often there's this narrative that, you know, that, the group has superimposed the cult self on top of the real self. And then when mm-hmm. you leave, it's about going back to that, that genuine or that authentic self. But mm-hmm. I mean, that doesn't really work for people like you and me because we, you know, our, our personality was formed through being a, a Jehovah's witness. Mm-hmm. How, how do you see that process as you're leaving 
the organization? How do you see that kind of process of finding yourself? It, it's like a second adolescence, really, um, <laughs> because like you said, it's you never had your own self. You were always the new personality. So it's not even about finding out who you are. It's about developing who you are, yeah. um, you know, figuring out what you're interested in and what kind of values you want to hold as a human being and, you know, what you're passionate about. Um, I, I don't really have any advice for like how to do that. Um, but, but it's definitely a process. For me, it was like mm. a lot of reading. I did a lot of reading and just trying to get as many different experiences in my head as I could of people that were different from me and people that came from different backgrounds. Um, and that really, learning about other people helped me shape my own identity and what kind of values I want to hold. That's interesting. It's one of the, the reasons for this podcast, really, you know, that what should I think about is, mm-hmm. is really the question that I had to think about all mm-hmm. through my process of, of um, finding myself. You know, what, what do I think about politics? What do I think mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. this election? What do I think about this philosophy? Or well, because you're in no part or... of the world, so <laughs> exactly. you have to now integrate <laughs> You've got all these questions. So that's kind of why yes. we called it this, you know, because we think, well, let's let's kind of model some of that, those questions that you ask. And um, I think it's interesting because when, when Jehovah's Witnesses leave, they are to some degree quite vulnerable, I think, to all sorts mm-hmm. of ideas and, um, you know, the danger of getting sucked into something else, I think, is there as well because you're kind of Absolutely. quite... Um, yeah, you're kind of childlike in many respects, um, and I've I've called it my adolescence as well. I think that's a good uh, metaphor for it, really. Yeah, um, yeah. And um, I know, Celine, you wanted to ask uh, Jerm a couple of questions about something a bit different. Um, I did. Yeah. Well. Um, yeah, we're also so we also make films, um, and we have a film coming out in a few days now um but it might already be out by the time people listen to this called the pink pound um yes yeah where we're like exploring yeah the relationship between um like the lgbtq plus community and um like capitalism and you know all these brands like slapping a rainbow flag on stuff and how do people (laughs) feel about it you know um so i just wondered you know because that's something that you know, now as an ex-witness, you get to think about and have an opinion on. Um, how do you feel when you see, because I'm thinking about it all the time now, I'm seeing all these rainbows when I'm scrolling through, you know, online shopping and stuff. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? Like, are you just putting a rainbow on for clout? Do you care? Do, do you think about these things as well? Yeah, yeah. I listened to your podcast about the Pink Pound, by oh, the way, cool. and I thought it was, I really enjoyed it. It was awesome. very good. I'm looking forward to watching it. Awesome. Um, it, it, it's difficult uh, for I, I have kind of a in the middle take on this because I remember I mean, I, I came out, it was early 2000s and, you know, it was the world was still very anti-gay at the time mm-hmm. that I came out uh, like Matthew Shepard had just happened, that that kid that was killed in Wyoming. And that was in the area I lived. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that time, when a corporation came out as being being supportive of gay people Mm -hmm. it meant a lot and we were very loyal to those companies that made us feel included very early on like like target is one of those first companies that 
were very inclusive of, of us right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're very, they took care of their gay employees that, in the way that other companies were not like you could actually go be a cashier at target and they would give you health insurance and share it with your gay partner, which no, you know, even now you don't even get everywhere. Um, so on the one hand, I appreciate, I appreciate them being supportive on the other hand though, you know, there's a lot of there's now that it's now that we're profitable, uh, which I think is a lot of the reason why we're, I hate to say it, why people are accepting as of us now is because we're profitable. Um, you know, it, it's hard to stomach it from companies that, you know, from the past that they are not supportive of us. You know, mm-hmm. There's this Twitter thread going around right now of all of these companies that are putting pride flags on all of their stuff, you know, compared to the donations that they've been making to anti-gay charities or mm-hmm. not, I guess charity isn't the right word. Um, but you know, uh, they contributing funds that are actively going toward against, yeah. actively against us that are trying to make laws against us, like, you know, Wells Fargo and things like this. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's, it's hard. You, you, you want to be, you want to be grateful for the support, but at the same time, you don't want any bull crap. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. that was a big thing that comes out throughout is um you know yeah that tension in everybody that they want to be happy about it because ultimately seeing someone accept you is always better than not but also um yeah wondering what are they doing whereas you know if you're going to profit from you know if you're going to profit from us you need to get something you know there's got to be an exchange yeah Right. And and also, I feel like, I mean, now the times have changed and we've moved along, along a lot since I came out. And now, mm-hmm. like, what what used to satisfy me before is no longer good enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, Disney is one of those companies that I have a lot of bone, bones to pick with because they're slinging all this Star Wars and all this, you know, mm-hmm. Disney pride merchandise. And it's like, you, we only exist in Disney movies if we can be erased. Yeah. It, they made this huge stink about a, you know, a lesbian kiss in the star Wars movie. And you, you know, it's in the background and it's something that they can edit out when they put it out in other countries. Mm-hmm. And just, to me, that's just not, no, it's not it's good enough. Very performative or um, mm-hmm. didn't they make, I'm sure the reason I know about this one is because um, I know someone that wasn't allowed to watch the new beauty and the beast film with Emma Watson, because there was gay stuff in it. And I'll use commas like you know air quotes um, and it's apparently LeFou like one of the side characters is is like Disney said he's gay and the only thing that suggests that is like he dances with another guy at the end um, but like they made a big thing to say like isn't it exciting there's a gay character in like a Disney film um, and like witnesses can <laughs> watch it because of that and also like it was barely a thing and also like what I feel like it it's a bit of a smack to have the character that literally means the fool be the one that they picked to be, you know, the gay character. Right, exactly. You know? Exactly. And, like, historically in all the Disney animated films, uh, like, they all of their villains are very queer-coded. Yeah. Like, Scar is very queer-coded. Ursula mm-hmm. is very queer-coded. Um, which, you know, with... I don't know. I stand all of these villains at the same time. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think They're... Ursula's great. I love Scar. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's... Are you ever going to queer code like the hero? Mm-hmm. You, you know, I, I don't know. 
would be nice. I mean, yeah, Ursula's literally designed after a drag queen, but you only know yes. if you know. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly. Mm. No, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's one of those things. I hope that we keep the conversation going, and I see people saying things like, "Uh, yeah, Pride was not brought to you by." t-mobile for instance or like whatever mm-hmm. it is but you know but we understand we spoke to someone that runs a pride and you need to have these businesses engage with so that you can run run pride it's you know you need it's give and take but yeah it's a mm-hmm. it's a very mm. complicated issue it which is, is why we did the documentary because it is yeah. uh, it's a good subject for uh, yeah for oh i can't wait to see it i think it's gonna be great cool oh, brilliant nice. yeah. um so so you're we're, kind of coming up to the hour and we we don't like to keep um, our guests uh, much longer than that so um i wanted to briefly touch on your channel um so your channel is called mentally disease as we said we'll put obviously put a link mm-hmm. um in the description for those people who don't know how to use a search engine um <laughs> but um, it's dead easy to find um it's great it's a great channel because I, yeah. I really it's so creative um each one is very different and yeah, you do some really interesting things, I think, with, with the mm-hmm. channel. Um, so, yeah, I hope you, you keep that going. It's um, I find it really interesting. You've done a recent one about Japan, I think. Was that your latest one? Yeah, yeah, I did one about uh, the XJW movement in Japan. Mm-hmm. Thank you, I appreciate that. I try to do kind of niche topics and mm-hmm. uh, try to find what other people aren't talking about. I, I like to talk about the culture a lot and moving on and you know, the mm. brain stuff, yeah. encourage yeah. people not to get stuck in a rut. Cause I think there's a big risk of getting stuck in a rut with all of this mm. great XGW content out there. Mm. Yeah. I think, I think there is a, there is a danger and it's, um, it's something that, uh, I think, you know, we all kind of have to think about who are engaged in, in this sort of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. cause you can find yourself, you know, looking at and watching and thinking about JW stuff as much as you did when you were in, um, if you're not careful. Right. And, Sometimes uh, even more. It can be really, yeah. it can be really addicting. So yeah. yeah. Sometimes I disappear for a while just because I'm like, okay, I need to get control. Yeah. Yeah. Having <laughs> a bit of a break, break every now and again yeah. is good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it is fascinating. And you know, I, mm. I, I do, I do consume a lot of it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what are your plans for the future with the channel or anything else you've got in the pipeline? Any other projects you've got on the go? Yes, I do have some plans. Um, I'm probably not going to make XJW content forever. Um, it's, you know, I've been out for a long time and I'm not, I'm not, the organization is, it's a completely different religion now than when I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there has to be a time where I move on. Um, I'm still going to talk about cults. I have a, channel concept for what I'm going to do afterward. I'm, and uh, I'm pretty excited for it. I think, I think it'll be a lot of fun. Still, still talking about cults, but you know, moving on from, yeah, from my childhood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> well, I really look forward to that. That sounds yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Thank absolutely. you. Uh, Celine, have you got anything else you want to, uh, to ask? No, I've sure. got, I've got all my questions as the audience know my cheat sheet. I've, I've gone through it. <laughs> so that was really fascinating thank you Mm -hmm. ever so much for uh talking about your experiences and getting your insights into uh these areas i think you know we share a lot of um a lot of things in in common in terms of our upbringing so um i recognize a lot of a lot of those things you've Mm -hmm. been talking about so thank you for being so open yeah thanks so much for having me on it's been a pleasure it's been lovely talking to you 
it has it's been really really good thank you again and <laughs> um, we'll look out for this exciting new project yeah. that you, you have in the pipeline uh, thank Thanks. you very much Jo thank you thank you What Should I Think About is an Evil Sheep production <laughs>